Hello, everyone, and welcome to Loopcast. I'm Chelsea Damon, and today we have Kelsey Atherton on the show, and I'm so happy he's on. He was on the Loopcast way back when in our very early days, so you were almost one of our foundling Loopcasters, Kelsey, so thanks for coming back on the show. A pleasure. And Kelsey wrote a fantastic piece that was published in Popular Science at the starting of May 2017. I'm just putting the date and the year on there because sometimes people listen to these shows um, way in the future. So 2017, May 1st in Popular Science, and it was called Survivors of America's First Atomic Bomb Test Want Their Place in History. And I read this. It's a great article that has history and stories intertwined with it, and it's very thought-provoking, very eye-opening. I read it, and knowing a little bit about what happened in 1945 in New Mexico with atomic bomb testing, this shed a completely new light on what really happened in uh, New Mexico back then. So Kelsey's here to give us more info on this, and for our listeners, he is a writer and uh, at Popular Science, and he writes on technology and defense for them. So great position and a great article. And Kelsey, why don't we start off talking about this article, and how did you decide to write this piece? What was your inspiration? Sure. So I grew up in New Mexico, um, and I recently moved back to New Mexico. Um, and as as someone growing up in this, I'm growing up in Albuquerque and interested in in science and in airplanes, especially like the military airplanes flying overhead and all of that. I've just been really interested in New Mexico's particular role in nuclear history. Um, Los Alamos Labs designed um, and assembled the first atomic bomb, first atomic bombs, and um, and then there's Sandia Labs in Albuquerque, Los Alamos, still to this day do lots and lots of work of maintaining the nuclear enterprise, um, and. The Trinity site, um, where the first atomic bomb was tested, is open twice a year. Um, And I asked my editors if they'd be interested in a story. I'm in New Mexico. It would be easy to do. I've visited the site once before, but I wanted to go um, and do a bit deeper digging, not just being a tourist at this place, but to see how is the story told? How does the... It's White Sands, um, which is the the missile range that encompassed where the the, um, gunnery range that had the test. But how does the official story get told to people who come to see it? Um, And that was the seed for this story. And you did a really great job in encapsulating that because you show how this whole story is portrayed and then you actually get deep into the weeds and you talk to individuals that were actually present during this major event. But before we get to that aspect, why don't you tell us a bit about the history and the run-up to this first atomic bomb test at the Trinity site? Sure. So the atomic enterprise, um, there's, there's a story we tell um, about the atomic enterprise and it's one that's pretty consistent across like, 
textbooks and museums. The um, the uh, nuclear museum in Albuquerque tells a very similar version of this story. But essentially, um, you open right if you're the film director and you're trying to tell the story. You open with those like spinning newspaper headlines of like Poland invaded and then like Europe in ruins and like Nazi Germany on the march and then you have Pearl Harbor and you have like there's all these threats and what is the answer and then you'll usually have someone mention the letter um that Einstein sent to um FDR saying oh we should develop this new weapon I think Germany is working on it we should beat them to the punch and then from that story we'll get to and then they found Los Alamos which was a small like Oppenheimer went to summer camp there. It was like a ranch on a mesa in northern New Mexico. And they went and they got all the best scientists and they hid them in this like hastily built military town. And they just worked and worked and they did all this math and they talk about it usually as almost entirely physics, though there was a ton of chemistry that went into this. And then from that huge project, these brightest minds, including a lot, a lot of European exiles, they built a weapon that would change the world, and then they usually say a weapon that could end wars. Um, and Trinity is the its the penultimate part of the early atomic story. The Trinity test on July 16th, 1945, is the first atomic test ever done. Um, and less than a month later, um, the only times atomic weapons have ever been used in anger um, we had Hiroshima and Nagasaki bombed, um, one bomb each and hundreds of thousands dead. Um, and then the war ends, and that's the story. That's the story that is told, is that we had this, there was a, there was a huge threat, there was diligent science, these brave scientists figured out a terrible weapon and they tested it in the desert and then they used it in Japan and then it was done. Um, and then we go into the Cold War. Um, and that's more or less the narrative that Trinity tells itself. So it's July 16th, 1945, and we have this test that's about to happen. Can you discuss what exactly took place on that day? Certainly. So the Trinity, the bomb at Trinity was named gadget um, and it was set on top of a tower it was built a hundred feet off the ground it's at the um, Alamogordo gunnery range which was a plot of land um, in in like central southern New Mexico um, New Mexico is really big it's south of Albuquerque so we kind of southern New Mexico um, and on that and so there's this this plot of land they have the They've already been, like, dropping bombs on it and stuff to test it. But for the day, the morning of July 16th, they have the bomb. They drove it down the week before from Los Alamos. Um, there's a ranch house nearby. They built some bunkers far enough away so that the um, Oppenheimer and the other people involved in, with the test could watch it and observe it safely. Um, there's a giant metal casing um they thought initially that if the bomb didn't work, they wanted to have a metal casing that could catch the unspent plutonium so they could build it, build the second bomb with it, um, because they were worried 
plutonium is super rare. It was really hard to get during the war. They didn't want to waste it, but they became competent of the thing. So they moved that jumbo, that metal casing um, away. And then um, at like five something in the morning, the bomb goes off. Um, we get the bright white flash. There's a mushroom cloud. There are pictures taken. Um, and they're really like stunning. It's, it's not the quite the stereotypical mushroom cloud you see in movies, but it's the first. And it's very clearly a bomb of a different sort. Um, Oppenheimer says, I have become death, the destroyer of worlds. He's quoting the uh, Bhagavad Gita. And then um, afterwards, the army says they have a weapon that can work, um, and they go away from Trinity. They don't need to test it again. Um, and that's, so that's, that's, that's what you will learn about Trinity when you visit the site. Um, they'll also tell you, and this is one of the neater things, is that the blast sucked up dirt. Um, it was low. It's 100 feet above the ground. It's a really low blast. It's very shallow indentation. It's a low blast. It sucks up dirt. The dirt melts and gets messed with the other stuff in that cloud, and it falls to the ground, sometimes falling as a liquid and hardening into spheres, tiny little spheres as it lands. And then you get this, like, new green rock called trinitite that is still scattered to the site. Um, But the site, the Trinity site, is not all that far from where people live. Um, it's far in the sense of like, it's far compared to anything um, in the East coast or densely settled urban areas. But New Mexico is ranching country, um, which means scattered houses over with vast tracts of land and grassland and people who have lived for centuries, just raising their cows and having like small gardens. Um, and there's lots of those people in the area. Um, the, a group went through the census records at the time and established up to 40,000 people living in a 150-mile radius at the time of the test. And that was something I found very interesting because you mentioned in the article that a pamphlet at the site discusses this reason for choosing the site as it's a secluded area, there's not a lot of people around, but as you just mentioned, these census records say that there's 40,000 people that live in the county surrounding the Trinity site. So my question is, why weren't there measures taken to evacuate these people or somehow care for their well-being? And so this is one of the interesting things I found researching this, is that there are records of evacuation plans um they had they planned for what to do if things went badly and the the most charitable reading um on behalf of the u.s government is that they didn't know right this is the first atomic bomb tested in history we didn't know what the impacts were going to be we didn't know what the health effects looked like it was far from a city um they scanned the area um there's a ranch house where they set up to assemble the, do the last parts of assembling the bomb before they put it on the tower. And that, um, that house had been bought from the ranchers a couple of years prior. They're like, sure, we would rather take money and not live where they're going to test bombs. Um, but 
they decided that what happened, they didn't understand also, we didn't have a really good concept of what fallout was yet or what, how to study the impacts of health afterwards. Um, and so they didn't clear the area. What they did do is after the test, they, um, they looked for people in the area in case they missed some, and they found some um, in a few places. Um, they found some in, like, canyons that they didn't they hadn't seen before again it's sparsely inhabited but it's not uninhabited area um and there's winding and there's mountains and there's canyons and it's entirely possible to miss a family um if you don't do a thorough job before you say test an atomic bomb and that's what happened and do you think part of it is just as you mentioned they didn't have this technology before so this test was a brand new era in weaponry and a brand new area in science and they just had no clue what to expect when they did this test? I think that's part of it. Um, I think another part is another part is just like the genuine secrecy of the war. You don't want to accidentally reveal um, what you've just built an amazing Bomb, so it's a lot easier to keep people in the dark, and you don't want to. An evacuation would even in New Mexico would still draw some attention. Um, but another part, and this was a recurring theory with people um, who who grew up in the um, in the downwind area, um, and people who take a critical eye to how we talk about the nuclear enterprise, is that like we didn't do this in Kansas, right? We didn't do this um, in more established states. We did it in a state that was conquered and we did it in a state where most of the inhabitants um, or a large portion of the inhabitants were Hispanic and were not white people. Um, And that could be part of it too. Um, There's a long history of nuclear testing in areas that are considered backwaters um, when it's the when the Soviet Union tested deep in their, like, Kazakh interior, when the United Kingdom tested in um, the Australian outback, when the French and the United States tested um, in Pacific Islands. Those are places that were, like, under the control of the governments but weren't really seen as part of the countries as the same way as, like, states or where the main population was. And so that meant that the people who had the unfortunate distinction to be seen as not quite fully Frenchmen or Englishmen or American got nuclear tests sometimes. And when I read the article trying to process the story, which when you read the accounts of individuals that experience this and have lasting effects their whole life, you try to counter it with something more, uh, positive or more hilarious and I kept on having this image of um, from Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull where he gets on this test site and he gets into a refrigerator to protect himself but I mean the reality of this versus the Hollywood depictions of test sites and so forth is that as I mentioned individuals that were in the area and experienced the fallout had really horrible lasting effects their whole lives. So can you tell us the stories of some of these individuals? I know one that you highlighted was of a man that's now 89 year old and he witnessed the test explosion firsthand. So 
why don't you tell us about him and his story as well? So Daryl Gilmore um, is the guy, and he, his parents, I mean, his family witnessed the test firsthand. They, um, they were living in Tularosa. He was from Tularosa. It's a small town on the other side of the mountain range that runs through White Sands Missile Range. Um, Daryl himself was, he went to the Trinity area a few hours after the test. He was a college student at the time at the University of New Mexico in Albuquerque. He had the family car. His dad called him up, said his brother was back from the service, but they needed to get to El Paso to process out of the service. So Daryl needed to bring the car down so they could all go to El Paso to do that. So in the morning of July 16th, 1945, Daryl leaves Albuquerque in the family car, and then he drives along Highway 380, which is the one that goes from um, Socorro to San Antonio to Carrizozo, and then you would cut south to go to Tularosa. And that's the same road that when you visit the Trinity site today, you will drive along that highway if you're coming from Albuquerque. There's a different way in from the south. Um, but he passed the highway about 9, 9.30 in the morning on July 16th, and he ran into a convoy of army trucks, um, and they were leaving, and they told him um, he was outside of his car, um, depending on when he's telling the story, it's either he was relieving himself or he was checking the car's tires after driving over some rough road. Um, he gets back in the car, and the army convoy sees him, and the sergeant driving this convoy says, roll up your windows, keep driving, do not stop, there's been a poison gas leak or a poison gas test, it's, you want to just keep going and not be on the ground or exposed to the elements in any way. So he does, he makes it back to, um, to La Rosa, and by that time he's started to develop a, um, what looks like a really bad sunburn. Um, and then he goes, his family, they go take care, um, his brother came back from the war, they process him out at Fort Bliss in El Paso, um, Daryl takes the family motorcycle back up to UNM to continue his studies, and his um, he's just his skin is just burnt all over, and he tries lotions; they don't do much, and then um, he starts developing skin cancers a couple of years later, and he continues to have skin cancers um, to this present day, um, and he he highly suspects that um, exposure to fallout the day of the test is what did it, and that appears to be the consensus among his um, various dermatologists. Um, he also, his family, his, um, his sister, his mother, and his father all um, died from cancer, and while like, cancer is one of those things that eventually gets everybody Tularosa particularly has a lot of people with a lot of stories about a whole generation just dying from cancer in sudden or unexpected ways. Um, and you mentioned in the article and you also mentioned in the show that these are homesteads that are on lots of land, so I would assume that there are probably crops or livestock that are the um, bread and butter for families there. So if you have cows that are eating grass that have had fallout on, I'm sure that's going to affect the animal and anything the animal produces, whether it's their milk or the meat that people might use them for. Uh, right. Did you find that in your research? So 
one of the really tricky parts about looking at Trinity is that there's a lot of research that's either missing or still, um, or that's still secret and private. Um, one thing we do know um, is that there were cattle, there were some cattle that were just obviously burned from the blast. Um, the army bought 72 cows in the area in December 1945, and they studied them. Um, they studied them for years, and most of the cows did fine, but some of them had really bad problems. Um, and one of the things that can happen, and this is ranching country, right? This is this is the primary livelihood and subsistence that people have, as they have cows, they live off the milk, they live off the meat. Um, is that if there's a little bit of fallout and it's scattered over a field, it's really hard for a person to get the full impact of all of that fallout. But if a cow is grazing and they graze over an area, then they will, anything they absorb, they can concentrate and that will remain in milk. And that can be passed on from milk to calves or to humans. Um, and so we do have, um, we do have really good studies of the long-term effects of atomic blasts on people, but they're, Tests that were there were studies that were set up in Japan by the United States and the Japanese government after um, after the Japanese surrender. We built hospitals. We um, set up. We re, the government found the people who were living in Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and we studied them, and we like provided healthcare and did everything we could to figure out what was happening. But it's hard to translate those studies entirely to rural New Mexico um, because the diet of people living in cities, in coastal cities, um, the cultural standards and just generally what they consume is very different. The bomb blasts in both of those cases were much higher and there's not a ton of beef or milk. And that's one of the big problems um, is that we don't know really what the impact was, but we do know that people were consuming food that could have been contaminated um, or was, we know the area could have been contaminated. We know people were consuming animals and food that absorb fallout in ways different than in Japan, right? Like if a fallout falls in the sea, then the sea is a really good way to disperse all of that. And so it's unlikely that the fish you catch will necessarily have had it. But there's only so much grass a cow can eat, and it's all going to be in the area. And why do you think that the government and scientists involved in this test didn't really do a long-term monitoring of the area and the people that were actually in the radius of this blast? I know you mentioned that there were cattle that were researched for years and years, but was there any type of research going on that looked at the area as a whole after this test? So there's, it's likely that there is some. Um, there's a history of the Trinity site by a former uh, public affairs officer who worked for 30 years at White Sands. Um, and he dug into it and they, and he found that um, researchers from Los Alamos had gone down and had, um, they would do, they would visit some of the people they found in the area afterwards. They would ask them things about their health, but they didn't 
tell them why they were asking them, why they were talking to them about health. And so we don't know what became of that study. We know that researchers went out and did some study. Um, and the, uh, the, the CDC in 2010 completed a long project looking through the Los Alamos archives to try and see health risks. Um, one of the – you do atomic research for decades, people are going to wonder how well you're taking care of the health, and especially the um, town of Española, which is right near Los Alamos and is um, just a really poor town – wanted to know if there was any, like, waste impact or other things. So CDC's looked through Los Alamos' records, but when it came to Trinity, they just said there has to be more there. We should look to see if there is more, and this warrants further study. Interesting. And in your article as well, you interviewed an anthropology graduate at the University of New Mexico, and they pointed out that the Trinity site, and I'm going to quote this, is overtly triumphalists, in the presentation of events and erases the experiences of those removed from the land without fair compensation or who may have suffered radiation injuries. I was wondering if you could discuss that a bit because that's another one of my questions. Were any of the individuals affected by this compensated, excuse me, compensated in any way? Um, There wasn't anything that I could find. There is the, when you go, when you get the Trinity pamphlet um they tell you very explicitly that there was this ranch house that was purchased by the army and the um and so they tell you that there was this one ranch house and they bought the house from the ranchers and those people left but they don't tell you of anyone else living in the area, and there are, as far as I know, no records of the Army compensating other than the purchase of that ranch house and the later purchase of cattle. Um, Instead, what you get, and this is where the triumphalist comes in, is you get a narrative that you walk to the site, you see the jumbo, which is the case that was going to contain the bomb, then you walk a path, and you see here is the obelisk, here is the corner of the tower. Here are pictures of the army set up right before, hanging out of the ranch house. There's a cute story about someone thinking scorpions were crawdads. And then and then here are several pictures of the blast. And then you go straight from the blast to they have a flatbed trailer which has a casing for the fat man bomb and gadget um was the same warhead um fat man is just slightly more aerodynamic and um bomb casing for it and so the story you get is that the army came into this empty area and they bought the one house in the area the army was just here to set this up they tested it and then we won the war against japan and there's no what were people doing there? Were people even there? That's missing. Um, and you go straight. You go straight from the test to to the surrender too, because Fat Man was the bomb dropped, I believe, over Nagasaki, and so that's the second bomb too. That's the second bomb, and that's the end of World War Two. I mean, I hate to say this, but basically it sounds like the way that the site today is 
depicting what happened back in the 40s is that, you know, we had this test, this great new technology weapon, and look what it did. It won the war. Woohoo. And basically, those that have suffered from it are completely left out of the story. They are. If you, um, there were 4,500 people who visited um, the Trinity site this April 1st, and there's nothing in the official material that acknowledges that there were New Mexicans living in the area. Um, to White Sands credit, when I asked them, they pointed me to the book um, by their former public affairs person, and that history talks about people living in the area, but that's a lot of homework um, to go and find out and get the official story that includes the people. Um, there were, however, on the drive in, you drive, you take a turn off Highway 380 and you drive to the Stallion Gate. And right when you do that turn off, there's some parking and there were protesters. Um, there were lots and lots of protesters. And they were with, um, many of them were with the Tularosa Basin Downwinders um, Consortium. And those were the people um, um, who are the either were there presently or the second or third generation of people who were affected by the blast or living in the area at the time of the blast. Um, and so they, by their being there, they add, they add themselves back into history. Um, and so I talked to um, Tina Cordova, who is one of the two people that founded the Downwinter Consortium um, afterwards. And she was the person who put me in touch with uh, Daryl Gilmore uh, since I was asking if there was anyone who had been there that day. And so there's there are efforts, but the efforts are coming from the people who were there and not necessarily from the government as it's telling the story. And since you have spoken with people that have been affected by this event, what would you say that they would want people to know about what happened that day as well as what they had to deal with the rest of their lives from being there. So the first thing is that the, the overwhelming point they want to get across is that there were people there, is that it wasn't an uninhabited wasteland. Um, one of the reasons the Army moved the test to the Nevada Proving Grounds for almost all subsequent tests, there were a couple more um, in New Mexico, but almost all of the future atomic tests and nuclear tests happened in Nevada is because that desert is much less hospitable. Um, and it, it, it's all desert, but that one was less hospitable and it was much further away from people. It hadn't been settled in the way New Mexico has over 400 years of history of European settlement and thousands of years um, of being settled and continuously inhabited. Um, and the army knew the, um, the health surgeon or the, the health physics person, the person in charge of looking at what health impacts of the project were saw after the test that they got lucky that the plume didn't make it to Albuquerque and that they needed to move somewhere with a 150 mile radius from people. Um, and so what the Trinity downwinders want is they want to be included in the story that they were there at the time. They weren't, immediately in the vicinity, but they were in the area when the first atomic bomb went off. Um, the four neighboring counties, 40,000 people living there in July 1945, as best we can establish. 
Um, that's number one. The next things they want, um, there's already a bill paying downwinders from other tests. Um, it's the, uh, Rika is the name, um, I have it in the story. It was established in 1990 to pay specifically for the downwinders of Nevada, um, because not even though the tests were much further from people, there were still people like living in Las Vegas and living in other parts of Nevada who were exposed to radiation without their consent or prior knowledge. Um, and that led to health impacts for many of them. Um, the bill also covers uranium workers, um, and it covers people who were present on the ground to tests. When you see that like weird YouTube video of these Marines walking stoically with a mushroom cloud behind them, that's the kind of people that would include. And so this bill was passed in 1990. It was amended in 2000 to expand who it included. It still does not include people who were affected by the Trinity test or the Marshall Islands. Um, there's a bill currently sitting in Congress which would add them to that. Um, and that would bring them into an existing compensation fund. Um, the other thing they want is there to just be a study of it, an official study of the health impact. And that's really hard, especially since what you're looking for is you're looking for increased cancer rates and you're dealing with a population of the people who were there at the time are now in their 80s at the youngest. Um, and it's really hard to see because if anyone's made it to their 80s, the odds are that they were their health is going to be pretty good. Um, we don't know what the – we can't see premature – cancers if you're only looking at 80 year olds and then when you were at the site of this test did you get any sense with just being there as well as asking questions to people that worked at the site that there is a potential that there might be some sort of mention of these individuals that unfortunately became a part of this story back in the 40s? Or is this something that there really seems to be no drive to actually even mention them, not even a plaque or something, just to commemorate that they were involved in this as well? There wasn't, um, no one I talked to there really seemed aware of it. None of the White Sands Public Affairs people, um, when I asked White Sands Public Affairs, they directed me to the book. So there's like, there are historical acknowledgements of it. Um, but there's nothing that I saw that said they plan to change or say, like, include a section about what life was like um, in, the, uh, in the Hornado del Muerto, the, the, the journey of death is the um, local name for that valley. Um, so there's nothing in there about what, about the prior human settlement really. And I don't know um, if there are any plans as of, as of then certainly to add the downwinders story into the official story. Um, it's obviously, I, I, I wouldn't have written this story if I didn't think it was a story that needed to be told. Um, and I think it wouldn't be hard to acknowledge it in a way that at least places the people in history. Um, the other things, figuring out the health impact, figuring out whether or not they should get compensation, those are a lot harder. Um, those are contested. Those are big political decisions. Um, 
that will be debated. Um, but I think it shouldn't be hard to my mind to add an official acknowledgement of people living in the area and whatever form it is, is not something I'm should be deciding. I imagine the Downwinders consortium would want to have a say on the wording, but it shouldn't be hard, but there wasn't any effort that I saw. Well, as you know, when we have time permitting, we like to give our guests a moment to maybe touch on something that we haven't touched on in the talk, or if you have a final thought that you'd like to add to this. So I want to hand over the floor to you, Kelsey. I think I didn't go down to Trinity expecting to tell a story about Dan Winders. I thought um, there's going to be a way to just talk about a neat little slice of New Mexico history and share it with the broader audience to remind us about where the atomic world began. And I think it was, um, I'm grateful that I was able to find people and get a human story there. And I think, we talk a lot about technology and narratives. We talk a lot about, we have the, the, the atomic museum in, in Albuquerque, for example, you walk in and you, when you start the historical tour, it starts it not with any early radioactive science or not even like Mary Curie or how are we figuring out what radioactivity is? It starts it with a picture um, with a, not a picture, a display case of the standard equipment for a Nazi infantryman and a Japanese infantryman. And then it tells the story of the atomic bomb. And I think when you're telling how we choose to tell stories, we often leave out lots of people. There's a lot going on. There's one story to tell is the story of the atomic bomb as the weapon that won World War II. Another story is the technology that set in motion the Cold War. And I think another story that could be added to this canon is a story of a weapon that was tested without knowing the effects and whose implications or ramifications were not studied, that there was no or is no to this day public study of the immediate impact on the people in the area, just seems like a misreading of history and it makes it much easier to tell different, to tell triumphal stories about what the bomb is without acknowledging that science has human costs, that there were people who were unwitting test subjects. Um, and that's, that's what I would like people to get out of it, is to look at, to look at stories and look at technologies and why, who are we leaving out when we're telling the story this way? Um, and when we talk about Trinity, we leave out the people who lived near Trinity. Well, for our listeners, we will definitely post a link to the article. And once again, it's called Survivors of America's First Atomic Bomb Test Want Their Place in History. And it was in Popular Science, where Kelsey is a staff writer. So thank you so much for giving your insight and your look on this really interesting and, like I said, eye-opening piece, Kelsey. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you.